2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read the first seven verses together. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my, son, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come. The bill collectors have come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour out into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and she shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured the vessels, as she poured, they brought vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Heavenly Father, we pray you bless this message for your name's sake. For your people, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Just reading this, these scriptures early this morning, it's been really an amazing week. Uh, we've been, a small group of us have been meeting here at 7 a.m. For those that can, that are nearby, we've been meeting here just praying, praying for you, praying for God's work here, God's plan. And you know, it's amazing. When you start praying, one person said it like this, more coincidence happened. When you start praying, more coincidences start happening. I think we underestimate prayer. We underestimate who we are in Christ. We underestimate the power of God. And we overestimate the devil. We overestimate the world. And we overestimate our, the power of our own flesh. So we live in this paradox. And this month, I just want to talk about a little bit about prayer for the next few weeks. And for those that want to join us, if you can, just... If you can't do it at 7 a.m. and if you can't be here, just take a time during the day where you can just get by yourself, sit down, get on your knees or whatever you want to do. Sit down, open your Bible, and just have some time with God for about a half hour, 60 minutes if you can do it, or whatever you can do. And if the Lord leads you to skip a meal or to skip meals just so we can focus on God in, in, in prayer and in fasting, then do that because 20, 2018, I almost said 2018, 2018, I just think it's going to be a great year for us. And I just have great expectations from God. And it's funny, since we started praying on Monday, I've just seen so many quote-unquote coincidences happening. Every day, just things happening. And let's not forget, we love grace. Grace permeates and energizes everything in our life as a believer. But let's not forget that prayer... It's not a legalistic work. It's like what Wes was saying. It's communion. It's talking with God. It's interaction with God. I think most prayer should be us listening to God. That's what prayer is. Mother Teresa said that. She said that prayer is more listening to God than us talking to God. We have the scene here, Elisha, who was the disciple of Elijah. And Elisha here has a double portion from the Lord. He followed Elijah till he was taken up into heaven. And the scene here is, and I just love the Old Testament. I mean, it's just stories of real people 
in real situations. And there's no masking over awkward situations in the Bible. There's a lot of awkward situations in the Bible that if I was writing the Bible, I would not write it that way because it doesn't come out so great. And when you read the Bible, there's the risk. God takes the risk of people reading the Bible and misunderstanding it. And so he sends his Holy Spirit to give us understanding of the word. And so the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. Now picture the scene with me. I want you to kind of do some choreography in your mind. When I read stories like this, I love reading. When I read stories, I'm trying to picture in my mind how it's going like in a movie or something or the scenes. Do you do that when you read? When you read, I I used to, when I was in high school, I used to read a lot of fiction. Kind of living in my own world, just reading this and living in these stories. And when I read the word of God, when I was reading this this morning, it was speaking to me so much the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. So the scene is, is there was a school for prophets. Imagine that, huh? There's like university for pipe fitting. There is university for business plan. There are universities for everything out there. And there was a university that we read of in 1 Samuel 19, in other portions of scripture, and 2 Kings chapter 4. We see it mentioned about three times in the Old Testament that there was this school for prophets. And it was a special school where <coughs> there, was, there was at one point, there was a number of about 7,000 students in one of these schools. There were probably three schools. And there were these prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And these, were, these men were overseeing this school. And these schools were hidden in Israel at the time because there was, a lot of pros- there was a lot of persecution against God's people. And if it gets too cold in here, we can, we can warm it up a little bit. I see people putting their coats on. The school of the prophets was a place where people could go and they could study the, the writings of Moses. They could study the works of God. We don't know what was going on and we don't know who the teachers were. We just know that there were these kind of schools. And one of the prophets, one of the teachers in the school was the husband of this wife here. And they had two kids. Now imagine the scene here. Picture the scene with me. And she says, she goes to Elisha, who is now the head prophet over the school. And she goes to Elisha and says... Your servant, my husband, is dead. She's basically saying he was a son of the he was a son of the prophets. He had a place of recognition and profile in this school. He was well known. He was a prophet, and his son was this woman's husband. And so this this kid this this young person here had um, he had some form of of profile with this school. So he dies. We don't know how he dies, but he dies. And he leaves behind a wife and two children. Now, let's try to guess the age here. You have children here, so they're probably younger than 18. Uh, And we see the scene here, so they're a little bit older. So they're probably young teenagers, my guess is. Young teenagers, maybe preteens. They're old enough to work. And she says, she goes to Elisha, she says, you know something? He was your servant. He worked for you. He was someone that you were connected to. And here's my situation. He died, and we have bills to pay, and I can't pay these bills. And now the, tech, the collectors, they're calling me day and night, and they want to come in, and they want to take my house. They want to take my car. They want to take my kids. Okay, I'm just kind of elaborating a little bit here. They want to take my kids. And according to Jewish to Mosaic law, in two places, it states that they, this could be done, that creditors could come in, 
They can take the kids, but they can only take them for a short time to make them work. And that was till the year of Jubilee, which was about every seven years. And every seven years, there was this marking where people's debts were released and they were no longer in debt. That'd be great if we did that here, huh? It'd be great if our president said, you know what, year of Jubilee, you can only, people can only owe you money until year number seven. And then, you know, you're debt free. That would be great, huh? We should, run, we should run for president on that campaign right there. That'd be awesome. It would set our economy free. And it'd be so awesome. It'd be so great. She says, they're coming after my kids. What a scene. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where, where you got people coming after your kids. You got people coming after your, your possessions. This was a dire situation. She goes to the man of God and says, he worked for you. Imagine Elisha's pressure on Elisha at that moment. No. I don't know if you've been in that kind of a situation before where you're responsible for people and you're overseeing people. Somebody comes to you and says, you're responsible for this guy because he worked for you. And I love, I, I love what Elisha says to her. Verse 2. Elisha, he's a man of God. There are four groups of people in this story that we read. The wife, the prophet Elisha, the neighbors, and the two kids. So what is that, five? Okay, five. Every one of us in this room find ourselves in one of those parties, or in all of those parties of people. Okay? And so Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? When we read this, I kind of get the impression that he's saying, what do you want me to do? Or what can I do? Like, you know, what am I going to do? I don't have any money. Or, or what, do you, what are your expectations from me? Or, or he could have said it this way. I, as a man of God, as a person, cannot do anything for you. Sometimes we go to people that have influence. We go to the church. We go to situations. And if you do this, this is fine. This is this, this is what we're here for. Sometimes Elisha or people don't realize that we're just clay. We're just people with clay feet. And it was good that Elisha said this. I myself, I don't know what I can do for you as a human being. You have a dire situation. And don't put your trust in me as a person. What shall I do for you? Isn't that great? Right from the start here. I think that sometimes when people come to us with great need, we are moved, right? I mean, during the hurricane, people were coming to us. It was unbelievable. I mean, all of us in this room, in some way or another, were impacted by the situation with the hurricane. And people came from out of town, out of state, and they were in here, in this city. They were working hard, and they were seeing some incredible stuff. They were seeing a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain. A lot of even businesses here in this small business park, a lot of them went out of business. Uh, the second half here that we just got recently used to be a physical therapy area. And a woman went out of business because none of her clients could come anymore. And they had such dire situations in some cases. She went out of business. And Elisha said to her, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? This is good perspective. And then he says, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, I can't do anything for you, and then walk off. Sometimes the needs of people, and this is going to be a very practical message, sometimes the need of people that, we've, that we face we feel in some way that we've got to generate something, right? We've got to do something. I'm the kind of person that when I hear about a problem, I immediately want to sit down, write out a business plan, and figure out how can I solve this person's problem? What can I say? What can I do for them? 
And I think that's human nature, and I think that's good, and I think that's part of God's plan. But we have to, have to first understand Elisha's response. What am I going to do for you? And then he goes like this. He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? I like that. What do you have in your house? Elijah, Elisha takes the responsibility or the, the direction of her request and puts it back on what she has. What am I going to do for you? What do you have in your house? Tell me what do you have in your house? And this was a poor woman. She, had not, she said, I have nothing except for a jar of oil. Now, you know what a jar of oil is? Uh, it's, it's not a barrel, some barrel that's in the basement of just oil that you put in your car. And it's not, you know, it's not some kind of um, anything else. But in every person's home, every Hebrew had at least some kind of an oil that they would use to put on their skin that would be in some way like a a balsam or a healing oil or something that would um, help with uh, as a remedy for skin disease or eye disease. Everybody had it. It was as common as shampoo. I remember when I was living in Ukraine, I, I remember just being sometimes so broke. I had like zero money. I was this American living in Ukraine. And um, God did that because there was at that time very, very little money in Ukraine. And rich Americans coming into the Ukraine were not really going to be able to do very much for Ukrainians because we had, we had, like, we had organizations that we hosted that came into the Ukraine that had this massive amount of resources. And they're doing evangelism and they're doing stuff on the streets. They had these awesome programs. But they weren't able to make disciples. And I had, remember one time one guy asked me, and I remember just planting a church there thinking, like, man, we don't even have a sound system and we had a sound system which was like a karaoke thing like for kids <laughs> it was just like box that stood right in front of the pulpit it was like so embarrassing for me like I just remember coming in and some of you guys that have been in ministry maybe Michael has been in this situation you've been in ministry where where you just got so little and you're just like almost embarrassed you're just like oh man you know and <clears throat> I just remember that we would record the messages and the karaoke system was such that Remember the old cassette tapes? They'd go for 30 minutes and then it would stop and you'd have to flip it. So I'm preaching, right? And if, I, I learned how to preach 30 minutes or less because if I went over 30 minutes and the tape would stop and the microphone would shut off and it would just be this awkward silence, you know, like, and then somebody in the back would have to run up, switch the tape. So I learned how to preach 30 minutes or less. It was good with a translator. And I just remember just feeling the sense of like, you know, I, I just don't have very much. We're not doing very much here. And I remember someone coming to us, a German, a German outreach leader, he came up to me, he says, you know, and I don't say this to the glory in ourselves, but I was just saying this, that, that in our weakness, God was really working. And we were seeing disciples being made. And he said, how do you guys do this? Can we have some of your disciples come and teach our, our, some of our people how to make disciples, how to, how to handle situations? And I just remember, we were so different. I just remember being so broke. I remember one day, I think the longest I hadn't eaten was like two and a half days. I just had no money, and I just didn't want to ask any money for people for money. Because people didn't have any money either. I just have so many, we have so many crazy stories about, I remember borrowing $5 from a Ukrainian just to get back to Poland. It was, it was just crazy. I had no way to get back to Poland, so I need to get back because my visa was running out. And if I'm in Ukraine without a visa, then I get this huge fine. So, like, I'm just doing what I can. And I realized being a single guy, not married, I have no more money. I'm out of money. And uh, as a single guy, I just, you know, I don't know what it is, but 
single guys. Wes is much more wiser than I am as a single guy. But you just wake up one morning and you just don't have any money. You're just like, oh, I don't have anything to eat and I don't have any money. Okay, so now what do I do, you know? So I had a borrowed, I, I called this one Baptist guy that I knew. Baptists were always helping us. They were great. And he kind of was treating me like his older brother. He was like, now, you've got to plan better. You know, he's like just one of these kind of instructional guys, you know. And I'm like calling him. I said, you know something? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I have to ask you to borrow five bucks from you because that was the cost of the train ticket from Ukraine back to Poland. And so he goes, okay, wait there in the center for me. So he goes home. It's about 40 minutes back home on public transportation. Gets this $5 bill, which is a silver note, which is like one of these $5 bills that were probably in his family for generations or something. I don't know, but it was just something that he had. He brought it back to me, and it was like, it looked like it had been ironed, you know? <laughs> it just looked like it You ever seen ironed money? I don't know. It was just like, it was all crumpled, and they were just trying to preserve the light, and he gave it to me. I took this $5. He says, please give it back to me. <laughs> He's just like, please give me back the money. So I go to Pol- I buy a ticket. I go to Poland. I just remember thinking, just feeling this, I don't know how you explain it, shame, not shame, but just embarrassment. And I think that here is a situation that this woman is saying, oh, you know, all I have is a jar of oil. A jar here means, is really like a flask. And what it is, is probably the size of a shampoo bottle. It's probably the size of the oil that she had. And it was like an anointing oil. It was used for anointing. Oil in the Bible stands for what? What does it always stand for in the Bible? Holy Spirit, right? It speaks that the Holy Spirit, in some measure, was in this woman's home. Elisha says, you got something in your home. And he asks her, what do you have? And I like that because God is always addressing our, what we have. He says, what do you have? What do you have? He's asking, what do you have? And he knows what we have. Elisha probably knew what he had, what she had. And she says, I have a cruise of oil. And then he, then he goes like this. He says, in verse 3, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. I know that some of you have read this. When I was praying this morning about what to speak on, it was such a busy week. I had no time really to do a lot of preparation for things. We had so much going on. I woke up this morning. I was like, God, you got to speak to me, you know. And I know some preachers don't want to I think we always like to say I'm so prepared you know I woke up this morning really needing to hear from God and that's what God put this on my mind this heart this verse these verses and he said go outside you know what that means Elisha tells the woman to do, to do two things two things take note of this he, does, he tells you to do two things first of all go outside go outside and the other thing was go inside and shut the door what does that mean go outside People find themselves in some pretty severe situations with great need. Here's a woman, probably a future pastor's wife. I don't know. Maybe a woman that was part of ministry. Uh, Her husband was part of ministry. And I think that when you're a woman and you're married to somebody that's in ministry, you can sense many times the, the needs. If you're a wife of a businessman or someone that's in business, sometimes you can feel the severity of the need, and you're wondering, honey, what are we going to do, you know? And us husbands, you know, we're like, hey, it's going to be great. You know, God's going to be great. You know, God's going to be faithful. It's going to all work out. And we're, we walk away, we're like, God, did you, did you hear that? <laughs> you got to come through here, you know? 
You know, when we walk by faith, we're saying, honey, it's going to be awesome, and it's got to be great. And I'm like, you know, we're like, okay, God, please just don't embarrass me here. And we're not embarrassed. God doesn't leave us standing. He says, go outside. You know what we need to do? Sometimes we need to step out of our situation and just stop talking about it. Sometimes we're like, I find myself doing this. Sometimes we just start talking. Every, everybody we meet, well, this is happening and that's happening. You know, I don't want to make light of people's suffering because people really suffer. And there are times in our life where we are just buried. We are just buried in just pressure and pain and craziness and and. And, 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 and that's all we can talk about. We just are pouring out our heart. But there are times here that we need to step out <clears throat> of that circumstance. Just step out. Get up. Just go for it. Sometimes, I don't know about you, if you work from home, I work from home. I have to get out of my house and I just go for a walk. Just walk down to the fountain, look at the fountain for a while, pray, and then walk home. You know, and just that to me about 45 minutes. Just go for a walk and just get some air. And just pray and just go outside. Sometimes we need to stop talking about our problems, stop talking about our situation. And, and, and as hard it is, as it is, we need to go outside. Remember the Israelites, they were in the wilderness and snakes were biting them, remember? And they were dying. And what did Moses say? Look away from the snake bites and look at the brass serpent on the pole. This is what, this is what Elisha is saying to her go outside, go outside. And the second thing, I mean, not the second thing, but part of what he's saying is borrow vessels from your neighbors. That's always embarrassing to borrow stuff, isn't it? I remember living, again, living in Ukraine, running out of stuff. And this is what, in Ukraine, it was just so cool because everybody's kind of helping everybody. It's like Houston. And when you ran out of sugar, you just go to your, go across the hall, knock your neighbor's door and say, hey, do you got some sugar I can borrow? That's so cool. We would do that. I was doing that all the time, like every week. And then my neighbor is like, then one time I walked the door, my neighbor opens and gives me a, like a kilo of sugar. You know, here you go, just some sugar. See you next month, you know. And it's always a little embarrassing, isn't it, to ask, isn't it, to borrow stuff? Like, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? Or can I borrow your car? Or can I borrow your house? No. Can I borrow? And it's like, so he's telling her to get outside of your situation and get into a zone that's maybe a little uncomfortable where you're going to have to ask, <clears throat> borrow vessels. What are these vessels? Well, borrow cups, jars, borrow flasks, borrow anything that your neighbors have that's empty. And this is important. Borrow things that are empty. He says empty vessels, empty vessels. Because you know what? God can't fill something that's not empty. God can't fill us when we're not empty. And this is, the, this is where the rubber meets the road. We, as human beings, are so full of ourselves. And I, I raise my hand first to say it. We are so full of ourselves. We are so full of ourselves. We're so full of our successes. We're so full, so full of our failures. We're so filled with everything. And you know something? God wants to empty us. God has to empty us because before a great blessing can happen, there has to be a great emptying. You know, we were at an Indian restaurant last night eating, and the owner is a believer. And I just remember um, God just created this really neat connection with this guy we went to this indian restaurant i remember the first time we went there was late at night my wife and i are always eating late at night it was our date night we finally got out to have some time together it was about nine or something like that so we go to this indian restaurant down the street from us she walks in i'm parking the car i walk across the parking lot and there's this guy kind of walking across the parking lot just like you know just dragging his feet and he was the indian owner and i looked at this guy and the lord just spoke to me 
I mean, I don't know if it was the Lord or if it was me. I don't know what it was. I looked at the guy and I thought, this guy is just wasted. He's just so tired. He's so exhausted. And he's kind of, and I go, hey, how you doing? And I knew he was the owner because I had, we had gone to his restaurant before. He was closed and he came out and said, come back next time. So I knew it was the owner. So we walk in there and I just felt like this compassion to kind of encourage this guy. And, you know, at the end, as we were eating, him and his wife came over. They sat down and they started, we started talking with them. And we began to pour into them. We began to speak to them and encourage them. And you know what? It was just amazing. They were both in tears uh, because we had such an opportunity to minister to these guys. They were empty vessels. They were empty. They had been in business just for a few weeks, and they were struggling. And they, had, they were both IT people and very, very accomplished people. God had, they had both lost their jobs, and they were like, Lord, now what do we do? And God said, I've given you a gift. Use it. And so they were just... And you know what? God just really created this great fellowship with us. And every time we go there, we, we just try to, try to pour into them. You know, sometimes discipleship making is not getting everybody to come to church. It just means I'm discipling people where they are. Okay? Maybe, God, maybe, they're, not, 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 maybe they're not coming to church yet, but maybe I just go to where they are and just kind of say, just kind of say a couple words to them that are going to be encouraging. And so empty vessels. And, you know, this emptying process is so uncomfortable. What, what is it like? First, I think it's four stages of emptying. First stage is when, when we start getting emptied, right, problems start, pressures come in. We find out the stuff that's inside of us starts coming out. And the first stage is like, hey, praise the Lord, brother. It's going to be great. All this positivity comes out. Maybe some faith comes out. We're like, hey, it's going to be great. You know, praise the Lord. And then the situation doesn't change. And then the second step is like, okay, God, <laughs> perplexity comes in, you know, what's happening here? What are you doing? I don't know what's going on. I'm going to hang out. You know, I just, I don't, I don't hear your voice. Third stage is when we start saying, why? Why is this happening? Why? Why? When we get to this, when we get to the why stage, you can know that you're almost empty, but not all the way. And we're saying, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why, you know? Why aren't you not answering my prayers? Why is it? And then we start thinking, then, then all these other things come in, self-pity or self-justification. I've done all this stuff for you. We've made all these decisions for you. Why, why, why? We're good people. What have we done that we would, that we would have to suffer this situation? And then the fourth stage, the last stage is, is that we are just so broken and exhausted. We, can't, we don't have any more tears to cry we don't have any more faith words to say. We're just here. We're just like, I'm just dragging myself to this church, or I'm dragging myself to this Bible study, or I'm dragging myself to the Bible, and I'm just here. I don't feel anything. Been there? Have you been there? Just no feelings. Just like no feelings. And we're not negative of God because we have no more negativity to pour out, and we have no more positivity to pour out. We're just empty vessels. We're just empty. And we just are sitting. And then God's like this. He's like, now I can fill you. Now I can fill you. Sometimes in a church or in a family or in a situation in ministry, God can start pouring out people's cups. And stuff starts coming out and it gets really uncomfortable because we are addicted to power. We are, aren't we? I'm not going to speak much longer here. We're addicted to power. Human, human cre- we as creatures that are finite people are living in such an uncontrollable world. We are addicted to predictability and we're addicted to power, aren't we? And we bring that into Christianity. We say, God, make me powerful, right? Make me strong. And then we, you know, some worship songs that we sing sometimes, I find myself singing like, like, well, wait a minute, is that my prayer? Like, okay, God, make me strong and powerful and undefeatable. 
you know, and that, that's true. But when, you know, when, the, when, the, when the breaking process happens, the pouring out begins, we, we say, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to just, I'm going to do something different, you know. And so this is what happens here. Go collect empty vessels from the neighbors. You know, there are neighbors out there, there are people out there that have emptiness in their life and they don't see it as an opportunity. And guess what happens with those people? They lose that opportunity. Their, your weakness, my weakness, my needs, my greatest pain is our greatest asset as a Christian. If you, remember, if you can remember one thing from this message, just remember this. Your weakness is your greatest asset. Your empty cup is the greatest asset that you have in your life. Every one of us in this room are in situations where, where God is like, maybe it takes years, months, weeks, maybe days, and we're just getting poured out as a missionary. You know, if you're a missionary or if you're in ministry and uh, you start experiencing the pouring out, just remember that this is directly related to your ministry, directly related to what you're doing in the church. Because God can't use a full vessel. And when he begins to, when he begins to empty us out, neighbors, there are people out there that have emptiness in their life, their cup. And by the way, either God or life will empty your cup. If God doesn't do it, if you're not saved... God, your life's going to empty your cup. That's just the way it is. Jeremiah 48 verse 11 says that, that Moab was settling on, on its lees. And it wasn't being poured out from vessel to vessel. So God sent wanderers, just random people to break the vessels so that, the, so that they would be empty. God wants to fill us with something so much more than what we are filled with already. And so he says, grab empty vessels. There are neighbors, and maybe we are here today as a neighbor. And we have empty vessels. And we're like, oh, this is just worthless. You know, in my mother's, mother-in-law's home in Poland, uh, she collects jars, empty jars. If there's like something empty, you know, they don't throw it away. My wife does the same thing. They don't throw it away. Uh, if, you, if you have pickles or if you have something like that or if you have mustard or any kind of jar that's going to cover, gets cleaned out and it gets stored somewhere. And I found out why when I was visiting um, her, my, my in-laws a while ago. Is that downstairs in the basement, there's, a, there's two closets, well, one closet. And part of the closet is just empty jars, just empty jars. The other part of the closet is just um, pickle, pickled vegetables, like pickles and pickled tomatoes and just all these awesome pickled stuff, you know. And it's all pickled. And so empty jars for some people are worthless. They're just like, you know what, this situation is so worthless or this thing in my life. How about Esau? Esau had this birthright. He didn't understand that this is, a, this is a potential great blessing in his life. And he sold it for soup because of an appetite. A, he sacrificed the eternal on the altar of the temporal. That statement's not original with me. I don't know who said it. But Esau sacrificed the eternal thing on the altar or in the situation of the immediate. Neighbors. And guess what? She sends her kids out to get these to get these to get these vessels, these cups, these pots, these pans. And it's a little embarrassing because when you're going, he doesn't say go to the store, go to the market. He says go to people. Because you know something? God wants, to, wants us to exercise ourselves in somewhat of a faith accountability to other people. What it's saying here is she sends her kids. And I like that because God can't use sophisticated adult thinking in faith. We as adults somehow lose our simplicity in our perspective of life. I hope I'm not losing you here. But God can only use a childlike faith. These kids must have been preteens or young teenagers, and they're just running around the neighborhood. They're running around the village. 
knocking on people's doors saying, hey, do you got some empty pots or pans or cups or anything that you're using? And I'm like, okay, sure. What, what's going on? Well, we're making oil or something like that. I don't know what they said. And so there was just kind of this measurement of, of embarrassment or, or awkwardness. And so what she does, she goes outside. He goes out. So they go outside. They're looking for jars. They're looking for things. She goes in, shuts the door, and there's this moment of truth. And she takes this flask, and she's commanded to start, just start pouring it out. Start pouring it out in the, in the jars that you've got. And she's looking at this flask the size of a bottle, small bottle, and she's looking at all of these. Probably her kitchen floor is probably filled with pots and pans and cups and all these different kinds of, of vessels. And she starts pouring. And she had to do that by faith. She had to start pouring out by faith. And as she's pouring, as she's pouring, the oil is not stopping. The oil is not stopping. And she's pouring and she's pouring and she's pouring and the oil is not stopping. She's starting to see that she's got three more cups left or something like that. And she says to the kids, get out there and start looking for more vessels. So they're out there. They're racing out. She's closing the door. You know what's important? Is that closing the door, there's a, I studied this one time in the Bible. If you ever want to do an interesting study in the Bible, read the doctrine of shut doors in the Bible. All the times that the Bible tells you to shut the door. Because you know what that means? It means concentration. It means don't get distracted by people's opinions. Like, you know, she's pouring out, she starts pouring out the oil. People can walk in because maybe neighbors then in a small village like that can just walk right into people's houses and they're, they're like saying, What are you doing? What are you doing? This is so weird. She closed the door so there'd be no distractions. There's a time to step outside of our situation, and then there's a time to close the door and really focus on God with what's going on. She starts pouring it out, and the, and the vessels are running out. The kids are running around the neighborhood, these two kids, these two sons, trying to gather more stuff, and then they don't have any more vessels to grab. And then uh, they come in. She says, give me another cup, another pot, another pan. And the kids are like, we, there's no more left. We've exhausted this village villages that we have we have um, pots and pans from everybody's house in this entire village in this house and as she's pouring and she doesn't stop pouring it says here pour into all these vessels in the, in the Hebrew it's the present tense it gives the idea that don't stop pouring when one is full then go to the next one and keep pouring keep pouring shut the door and as she poured she brought the vessels to her in verse 6 when the vessels were full she said to her son Bring me another vessel. And she said, to, and he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. The oil stopped flowing. That speaks to me volumes. It speaks to me so much. Because you know what it means? It means that the miracle will not stop flowing. That these vessels were the measure of what God wanted to bless them with. And... We can look at this and say, oh, she should have had more faith and gotten more vessels. We'll find out later that that's not the case. Take circumstances in your life that seem to be embarrassing, awkward, and empty and bring them. Close the door and bring them before the Lord and say, God, this is my emptiness. This is my brokenness. This is my, these are my issues. These are my, these are my problems. What are these vessels? I think they, they speak of two or three things. Number one, they, the empty vessels speak of prayer. When we go to God in prayer, we're actually bringing an empty cup to God. We're saying, God, here's the situation. I need a miracle in my mother's life, or I need a miracle in my daughter's life. I need a miracle in my, in my family. 
And there's a lot, there's a lot of brokenness there. And this situation is so empty. It can't even get any more emptier. And I can't get any more emptier. God can't work without the vessel being empty. We bring that to God. We just say, God, I'm empty. We, we don't live in condemnation. We don't live in fear. We say, this is the way it is, God. The wrong message that sometimes are preached in churches is that you've got you to fill that cup with something and bring it to God. You, gotta, you can't come empty-handed to God. No, you have to come empty-handed to God. Come to Him as you are in your unbelief, in your fear, and come to Him in your brokenness and, and, and whatever's happening, in sin. Come to Him and say, God, here's my empty cup. And guess what happens? A miracle starts happening. She starts pouring out the, she starts pouring out the oil. And then when the, when the vessels are full, that's when the oil stops. You can apply this in so many areas of your life. Another, another meaning for vessels could be is prayer. Another thing could be people. People are vessels. Go out, outside, into the highway and byways, into the neighborhoods, into people around here in spring. There are people in this area that are living in neighborhoods around us that are empty. And they're looking for oil. They're looking for the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're looking for the, to be part of a community. Go outside. Get outside the doors. That's what the hurricane did. So many churches got outside of their, their walls and started getting into the communities and ministering to people. And they found empty people. Bring people. Not a few. Bring many. Maybe you want to start a business with the Lord. Maybe God's put something on your heart. That I want to start a business that can fund an awesome work of God or, or fund something in a vision that we have as a family. Go get vessels. Start talking to people. Start talking about it. Start talking about what God gave you. Because you know something? You have a flask of oil. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have no need for any soulish man in 2 second, in second John 2, verse 20 and 27. That you have an anointing in your life. You have an anointing. You have the presence of oil in your life. You have the presence of God that will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? Is that something that we... We call ourselves ever grace, but are we believers in the grace of God? We really believe in the grace of God. I can say that I, I'm learning every day more and more. We have an anointing. And that verse 27 says, you have no need that, no, we have no need that man teach you. That's so often misinterpreted, because if you look at the Greek, it says, you have no need for any fleshly or soulish man to teach you. We need spiritual teachers. We need teachers. We need to be taught by spiritual people, not soulish people that are that are bound to their environment bound to their fears bound to their issues so let's close with this so there's not enough then the oil stopped flowing she came and told the man of god and he said go sell the oil and pay your debts that great pay your debts first dave ramsey right pay your debts first uh, pay your debts, and you and your sons live on the rest. Period. End of story. Kind of leaves you on like a cliffhanger there. Like, what happens to these people? But, you know, they ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after? We don't read that. It just, actually, in the Hebrew here, it's the cal imperfect. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but that means basically it's the imperfect tense, which means something happens, and it kind of leaves you on the edge. Like, what happens next? You and your sons live on the rest. I love this, and this is just the wisdom of God. Because you know something? When God begins to multiply the oil, when there is a demand that is created in your life because you're taking steps of faith in a situation that you don't want to be in, and you take steps of faith to trust God 
And every day you're waking up and you're, you're, you're getting your, your cups being poured out. First of all, it's like, praise the Lord. God's going to be great. Here's all the verses. Then you're like, God, where are you? And then it's, why is this happening? And we're yelling at our mates, saying, why is this happening? We're yelling at our kids, why is this happening? We're yelling at our boss, why is this happening? And then the fourth stage is like, I don't have anything else to say. I'm just empty. I can't cry. I can't scream. I can't do anything. When we're in that situation, take steps of faith. It creates awkwardness. And you know what? When you take steps of faith in the God that you know and in the word that the man of God is giving you, Men of God, or the Word of God is giving you Jesus Christ. When, God, when we take steps of faith in that Word, guess what happens? It produces a demand. We're like we're sitting in our house with a lot of empty vessels, and we're like, God, if you don't show up, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna look so foolish. <laughs> you know, I don't look like I'm gonna be like people are gonna be like, what are you doing? You just, you're just so strange, you know. And we start pouring out. And we have to, there are times, we just have to start pouring out. You know, you might be able to pour out only a little bit, a drop. Maybe you only have one drop in you. And you have just a word and season to say to your wife or your husband, say, you know something? I don't know. All I know is God's with us. And I don't have any Bible verses to give you. I just know God's with us and he's not going to forsake us. And just give that. Just give that. And when we do that, the oil is going to keep flowing. Sometimes as a pastor or as a, as a minister, sometimes you feel like I can't give anymore. Just keep giving when we do that. As a dad, you feel like I don't know if I can keep giving. Just get up that morning and step out and keep giving. Because we, when we do, the oil will not stop flowing. Then the last, the last picture there, the last person I think, is Elijah. We can either be the two sons being sent out to go get vessels. We can be the mom pouring out nonstop. We can be we can be the neighbors that don't know what we have and we're losing our opportunities because somebody else sees the opportunity. Or we could be like Elijah. And I think all of us in this room are all four categories. Sometimes we're the neighbors. Sometimes we're the, the mom, the wife. Sometimes, sometimes we are Elijah. Sometimes we are God's person in somebody else's life. And I'm going to finish with this. People are going to come to you and me and they're going to say, I've done all this stuff for God. I need some help. Can you help me? And we have to understand, number one, it's not going to come for us. Number two, we need to have people look at what they have. What do you have? You have God in your life. And we need to focus on that and get people to be in, 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 uh, educated about who they are in Christ and get them to focus on that oil, on the presence of God in their life. And when that happens, we, can, we challenge them. Take steps of faith in your life. Don't be afraid to challenge your kids to take steps of faith in their life. Sometimes I think as a parent we want to protect our kids from circumstances, not let them get into circumstances, and kind of be God in their life. That's a very healthy parental idea. We don't want to neglect and forsake our kids. But sometimes we can cross the line and be God in their life. We've got to let our kids take steps of faith and let them experience God in their life. And maybe there are kids, maybe you have kids and you just don't have control over them anymore. One thing I know is that God doesn't forsake people. Trust God for your kids. You could be Elijah in somebody's life and challenge them to trust God for their lives. Amen? Just a few thoughts as we approach this new year. Let's go out and gather vessels. Let's go look for opportunities that people, other people are neglecting. And here's the thing, is that the greatest miracles in your life are going to happen in the greatest times of weakness in your life, not the greatest times of strength, greatest times of weakness. And the second thing is, is that God can't fill things that are full. And there are going to be opportunities out there that you're going to see. You're going to be amazed. At why, why, is not, why aren't people taking advantage of that? 
And God's going to have you walk into their life and say, hey, can I borrow that? I like the word borrow because I'm going to give it back to you. Can I borrow that? And we borrow it and you just see God move. I, I really think that if we hang in there and we just trust the Lord and we just are dependent on him, we're going to really see God's faithfulness in our life. And it may take some months, it may take some years, weeks, days. Don't get discouraged. Be encouraged. Amen. God's for you. He loves you. He just, and I just want to finish with, I said it four times already, but this, Tim Keller said this. He said that God is attracted to need. His grace is compassionate on our brokenness. And when Jesus would go and pray, he would always go pray in desolate places. And it's unique because that's Luke 6. Because he would go find those empty places because he knew that the glory of God would fill those places the most. Those desolate places in our life he wants to fill. Let him fill it. Let him empty you. Don't fight the process. Let the process go. Don't condemn yourself when you're asking yourself why and when, you're, when you have no more energy. When you have no more power to pray, don't condemn yourself. Just show up as a vessel and say, God, pour into my life and he'll pour into you his grace, his great grace, his abundant grace. And they shall live. And that means, I didn't finish that, but they, they shall live and live and live. And your sons and your you yourself shall live and live and live and live. And then, and it's a, the cow and perfect. This kind of almost gives the incentive, sense of eternity. Like, you know, this doesn't end. It just keeps going in a timeless state. Amen. All right, let's close our, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and close in a word of prayer here.